So if you want to open your Bible, we are in the resurrection story found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. So what we're going to do today is zoom in on verses 4 through 7, and then I'm going to come back next week and preach another passage out of this resurrection account, um, preach another sermon um, before we move on uh, past that into the next story. And so we're going to kind of have two two resurrection um, sermons uh, in our Luke series. But starting there in verse 1, it says, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by in dazzling apparel, And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember, he told you while he was still in Galilee that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, again, we thank you for this Resurrection Sunday. God, as we open your word, we pray that your spirit um, would work uh, to interpret your word to us rightly. God, that as as you know our hearts perfectly, uh, that you know your own heart perfectly, as the spirit um, intercedes between us through the word, God, we ask that you would apply these things to our lives, that the the things that you would have us to know, we would know, the things that we would, you would have us to value, we would value the things that you would have us to stake our lives on, God, that we would stake our very lives um, on those things. God, that you would bless your people through your word by your spirit in this time. God, we pray uh, for your spirit to move all across our county this morning. We pray that, God, as as people are coming to church, um, perhaps for the first time ever, um, God, maybe for the first time this year, many people maybe for the first time since uh, COVID, um, God, we we pray that this would be the day that they would reconnect with you, God, that they would see, um, God, how important it is to, to uh, be connected to a local body of believers, God, to live in light of the truths of your word. Uh, and to be taught from your word uh, each and every day. God, we ask that your spirit would do these things, that he would stir up people's hearts, that he would make people um, recognize, uh, God, the things that they are lacking in their lives and the great joys and truths um, that we have in Jesus Christ. Father, do that in our own hearts as we read your word. Um, do that in this community, in this county, God, across Tennessee, across our country and across the world. We thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, I want to zoom in 
on verses four through seven. So let me read those again real quick, and then we'll sort of work through them backwards as I talk about the idea of the meaning of the resurrection. So verse four, while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. So again, I'll come back to do a fuller treatment of this whole whole passage um, next week as we continue to talk about the resurrection. But today I want to zoom in and and just kind of share with you briefly about um, those four verses and the meaning of the resurrection. So there's obviously no way that we could probably in the short time we've got together talk about all the things we got one loose. He's on a run. Um, but there's no way we could talk about all the different things that the, 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 the resurrection means for us, right? To, to fully explain those things, it would take hours and volumes to do that. But I just want to zoom in on three ideas that we can kind of glean from these passages. The first thing is this. The meaning of the resurrection is that in the resurrection, Jesus Christ is vindicated, right? Jesus Christ is vindicated. So he says, Remember how we told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered. Those people need to be in church. Um, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful man and be crucified and on the third day rise. All right? So Jesus has preached and ministered for three years at this point. He's done incredible things. And not only has he done incredible things, I mean, again, we have... Uh, it, it has worked well that we are finishing and, and, and landing in gospel, Luke's gospel at this point because we've read the account of the ministry of Jesus over the last few years. It's honestly taken us almost three years to get through uh, that point. So we're doing it in proper time. But Jesus has done incredible things. He has made incredible claims during this time. And there's only two ways that you can take the things that Jesus has said. There's only two things you, there's only two answers. Either Jesus is telling the truth about these things or he is the devil, right? He is a liar and a devil and is trying to deceive people, right? Jesus has claimed to be the Messiah. He has claimed to be the fulfillment of biblical prophecy. He has claimed to be the son of God. He has said that he is one with the father. He has said that before Abraham was I am, right? Using that, that I am phrase that we see at the burning bush, associating himself with the name and being of God. And so for someone to say those things, you can only take them one of two ways. You can either, he's either telling the truth or he is a liar on a level with Satan. But here's the key. If someone dies and raises from the dead, you should probably believe them, okay? If someone dies and raises from the dead, you should listen to the claims that they have made. So I had a friend this week, and he had a cousin who passed away. And sadly, there was little evidence in this cousin's life that he was a person of faith, that he had placed any faith in Jesus Christ. And that's a that's a difficult place to be in, Right? One that probably most of us have experienced with friends or with family, but it speaks to something. It speaks to the silence of death. So there is this impassable chasm between us and those who have 
dies. There is a level at which we all experience this with everyone. When somebody passes away, we can only look backwards, right, for any connection to them, for any evidence of their saving faith. For many people, there's tons of, of evidence right there. There's, there's tons of confidence there. We look back and we say, man, I have every anticipation that this person was who they said they were and that, that I'll see them again. With other people, there's more uncertainties, okay? Um, but that's the way it is with everybody, okay? Anybody that dies, we, we talked about that with the story of the thief on the cross, right? That there are very few people in this world who we know for a fact 100% who are in heaven today. The thief on the cross happens to be one of them because of Jesus' testimony about it. But we don't know that usually. There's a silence there as we look backwards. So this is true of all people in all the world, in every situation, for all time. It's true of everybody except Jesus. Jesus is the only person to have come back, right? To have been raised to newness of life. The resurrection is this gigantic exclamation point over the life and testimony of Jesus. That he was who he said he was. That he did what he said he would do. That in him the Father was well pleased. That his teaching was true. That his promises were sure. That his faithfulness is unquestionable. Because Jesus came back. Everybody else dies. And there's nothing left but silence. For Jesus, there is not silence, but in his resurrection, there is confirmation. There is vindication, and there is celebration in that. So again, all of the gurus throughout the world, all of the spiritual guides, all of the wise men, all of the prophets anywhere in the world, all the different religions, they all died, and there was silence. But Jesus, when he died, he came back. And gave testimony to the truth of who he is. So Jesus Christ is vindicated in the resurrection. All right. But there's a, there's more meaning, obviously more, maybe in, in one sense, more personal meaning to us. And we notice that in just that simple phrase that he is not here. He is risen. And the reality is this, our, because of the resurrection, our brokenness can be mended. Because of the resurrection, our brokenness can be mended. So Jesus was despised, he was rejected, he was pierced, he was crushed, he was chastised, he was wounded. All phrases that we see in that Isaiah 53 prophecy about Jesus. His body, his physical body is mutilated beyond human description. And yet in the resurrection, he stands in health and vitality again. The betrayal he experienced, the abandonment he experienced, must have left him emotionally devastated. I can't imagine what it would be like to have every single person who you were close to walk away in some way. And yet, here Jesus is in the resurrection stories. He sits with those people who rejected him, and yet there are scenes of sweet fellowship with the disciples, with the very people who betrayed him, and yet now he is at peace with them. Those emotional scars have been mended. He bore the full weight of guilt and shame and desolation. 
the natural consequences of our sin and rebellion. And yet now, forevermore, he is at rest and at peace with the Father. He is in perfect communion with the Father. What you notice is that all the worst things happen to Jesus, and yet now in the resurrection, he is made completely whole again. And what I'm saying to you is, if that is the case, it can be the case for us as well. When the, when the angels say Jesus isn't here anymore, he is risen. There's a, a way in which we would say he is risen above all of the junk, the mire and the muck that this present darkness represents, right? All of the garbage that we have experienced this world, Jesus experienced it even more. And yet now he is risen above those things. Those things don't hold him down anymore. And the promise is, if Jesus can be raised to newness of life, you can be raised to newness of life. If you share in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we do that by aligning our lives with him by faith. That that brokenness, that spiritual deadness that we all experience is not the last word. The Bible says that we are buried, that we were buried, therefore, with him in baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That's the picture, that all of us are dead in our sins and trespasses. And that baptism, you know, sometimes we we, we have discussions back and forth with other denominations about baptism. That's the reason why we think as Baptists, immersion baptism is such a big deal. Because there's a visual picture that is there of you going down under the water into death, and then being raised up out of the water in newness of life. Years ago, there was a book that probably some of you remember called I'm Okay, You're Okay. You remember that? You remember that book? Um, I've never read the book, and so I can't tell you about the content, but I can tell you that the, the title of the book could be a catchphrase or a mantra for all of fallen humanity, right? This idea of I'm okay, you're okay. Um, the problem is, is it isn't true. We are not okay people. Um, we bear the, the sin and the scars of all of the junk that we have experienced in our lives. And we are, as, as, as human beings, man, there's so many times just like that, I'm okay, you're okay phrase. We're desperate to try to explain it, to justify it, convince ourselves, right? That we're fine, that we can live as we please, that, that everything is going to be okay. But the truth is, is this, we can't and we aren't. And it isn't. And we are intoxicated on the world. We have numbed ourselves oftentimes to the pain and the disconnect that we experience. I've shared this quote with you before. It's from, from Tolstoy. And it's, it's, it's just a great idea of what life without Christ looks like. And so he's talking about just, you know, living in, in the, living for the things of the world and living for money and living for status and living for success and living for pleasure. And he says, one can only live while one is intoxicated with life. But as soon as one is sober, it is impossible not to see that it is all a mere fraud and a stupid fraud. That precise, that it is precisely what it is. There is nothing either amusing or witty about it. It is simply cruel and stupid. Here's the deal. It's weird to say that because it goes against everything that our culture teaches us. But life is cruel and stupid. At least it is without Christ. With Christ, everything changes. 
with Christ, it is the difference between a, a rainy, cloudy Saturday and a beautiful, sunny Resurrection Sunday. That's the distinction. But for the person without Christ, man, you can make yourself feel good all day long. And yet the truth is, is your life is desolate. You live, in fact, in a sense, in a dead world. And the only way that you can make yourself think that that's not the case is by being drunk and intoxicated and deadening your senses to the things around you. But here's the deal. If Jesus Christ is risen, though, and not just risen, but resurrected, that he has new life, then the Bible says you can be resurrected too. You can be raised from death. You can be raised from cruelty and the stupidity of life. It can be overcome. And a new life can begin. A new life can begin here, a life that will be consummated in in the life to come. But it can begin to be made new in this life. If Jesus is the resurrection and the life, then it is within his power to make you alive with him. His death means you don't have to die. His resurrection means you too can live. And so that's that second idea that we see in the resurrection, that just as Christ is not no longer dead, but it is risen, we can be no longer dead, but risen to newness of life. And the last thing is this, it is that we were made for a different life. We were never intended to experience this world of death that we have. And I love that line. It's what I put on my Facebook this morning. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Why do you seek the living among the dead? Consider the relationship between light and darkness. All right. Darkness and you may have thought of this before, darkness can never actually defeat light. Darkness only appears where light recedes, right? So it's not like the movies where you see some monster or something in this like creeping darkness moving in and taking over the light. That's, that's not the way it works. Darkness only exists when the light goes away. But the second the light comes back, darkness is dispelled. The second, right? You shine a flashlight. The second you turn it on, the darkness is dispelled. There's no point at which your flashlight starts going, you know, and 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 the 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 darkness starts overtaking your flashlight. That's not the way it works. Okay. I wonder if life and death have a similar principle that we just don't recognize. That life cannot be conquered by death. And that the only way death can ever have its way is if life has to recede in some way. Okay? I wonder if that's not part of what went on. It's just speculative, right? What went on at the fall, when God steps back from his direct connection to creation in some way, and death enters the world. It's not because death is this power that comes in and, and takes control or something like that. It's because as God steps back because of our sin, then death comes in around that. Death only exists because life is not there. But the deal is, is when life returns, death is dispelled. The same way darkness is dispelled with light. Death dies in that moment. And so again, he says, why do you seek the living among the dead? You would not expect to find death where new life 
had come into being. The world we live in is a dead world, and we long for a living world, a spiritually empowered world, and that's what the resurrection does. We were supposed to live in a living world, right? All we have to do is think about the bookends of the Bible. You go to Eden and look what the picture is before the fall. You go to the new heaven and the new earth and new Jerusalem at the end of the book of Revelation and you see a picture there too. Those are the book. That's what it's supposed to be like. Everything else in the middle is the mess that we find ourselves in. But we are supposed to live in these resurrected, a resurrected world, a world of life, a world devoid of decay and death and sin. And the resurrection is the down payment on that uh, that promise. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Right? When you sense, when you look around you, again, going back to that, that other point we made, when you look around and you go, and this world is a mess, there is a, there is an, there's a, there's a decay at the center of this world. That there is, there's just these things going on. Like, and you go, man, it's not supposed to be this way. What happened in Nashville uh, two weeks ago, it's not supposed to be this way. We know that. And then what's the answer? So we say, if there's something, where would you get that idea? If this is the only world we've ever known, where would you get the idea that this just isn't the way it's always supposed to have been? The answer is, is there's something in our hearts that God has put us put there that makes us know that this is not the life we were meant to live, that things were supposed to be different from this, that we were meant to live in a world free of these things. Again, not some utopia of human making that's always just over the horizon and just takes a few more dictators or a few more deaths or a few more wars to accomplish. Not a utopia, but a new heaven, a new earth filled with resurrected people, incorruptible, imperishable, glorious, spiritually empowered people. That's what we're shooting for. That's where we are headed. And that's what the resurrection foretells. The resurrection is the down payment on that world. It's the promise that it's still coming. You had it once upon a time in Eden. You ruined it, but it's not over yet. God is going to bring that world back to reality. And the Bible tells us that if we place our faith in Jesus Christ, the resurrected and vindicated son of God, that we will join in that new life and in that new. So again, the scriptures tell us just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, we've borne the image of that fallen, destined for death, broken earthly man. So we will bear the image of the heavenly man. Jesus Christ, the firstborn from among the dead. Our sin brought death and judgment into the world, but because of Jesus' perfect obedience, because of his perfect sacrifice that brought us forgiveness and atonement, because of his resurrection, we have the down payment of life eternal. That's the meaning of the resurrection. Again, are there other things that we could talk about? Certainly there are. But I close with this phrase, it's maybe, man, I say it all the time, and I'm sure you have written it down before, and, and, and you've heard me say it before, but it's, it's from a, a theologian named Yaroslav Pelikan. And it's pithy, but it, everything's tied up in it. He says this simply. 
if Christ is risen, then nothing else matters. And if Christ is not risen, then nothing else matters. The truth is, is that if Jesus Christ is risen, then the whole world is different now. That we have a hope and a future and a new life that we are moving towards every single day. And if Jesus Christ is not risen, then we live in a world of death and decay and none of it matters. Because it will continue to be a world that dies and decays until it ceases to exist. And so if Christ is risen, he is the hope. He is the only hope that we have. And the truth is, is we believe he is risen. That's why we're here today. That's why we meet every single Sunday, to celebrate the truth of the fact that Jesus Christ is risen and nothing else matters. Amen? So what I want to do is let's go to the Lord in a time of prayer. Ask God to help us live in the light of the resurrection every single Sunday. Again, that is the reason we we've, we talked about it a few weeks ago. The reason we as believers in the Old Testament don't meet on the Sabbath to worship, the Sabbath being Friday night through Saturday night, right? We don't meet on the Sabbath to worship anymore. Why? It's a pretty big deal, it would seem, right? It's one of the Ten Commandments. Seems like that would be a weird thing to, to stop doing. What must happen for us to shift that to a new day? What kind of event, the importance of what kind of event would shift us and make us worship on a different day? I'll tell you what that important thing was. It was the resurrection of Jesus Christ on Sunday morning. It was Jesus Christ being resurrected from the dead on the first day of the week. An event that was so central to all of human history that it changed the liturgical week of the followers of God for eternity. That's what we live in light of now. So I hope every single Sunday, every single Lord's Day, we come in here remembering the resurrection of Jesus Christ, proclaiming the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, um, and placing all of our faith in him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, you are good and gracious to your people. God, you have perfectly made a way for us to be saved from the sins that we walked into willfully. God, the things that we did to destroy our own lives and destroy our own world. God, in your grace and mercy, in your love and compassion for us, you did not leave your people in the midst of their own self-destruction. God, but you stepped into time. You stepped into history. God, in the person of your son, Jesus Christ, God, you have made a way for us to be made right with you through your death and resurrection. God, help us to preach that message. God, help us to live by that message. Help us to take that message to our friends and family members and neighbors. Let us not live lives of, of middle-class decency and, and uh, generic, political, correct, civil religion kindness. But God, let us preach Jesus Christ his death and resurrection to those around us, that trust in Christ is the only way to be saved, that the realities of the things that he has accomplished for it, for us in his death and resurrection are the only means by which we could ever be cleansed of our sins and made right with you. God, let that 
be the song that we sing. Let that be the message that is on our lips as we go throughout our lives every single day. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand and sing the closing song. If the one who died has brought us in the
Amen. Happy Resurrection Sunday. Glad you were here. Glad to see you. Go out and enjoy this perfect day. Man, it couldn't have gotten more beautiful than this. Um, hope you have a great time of, of, of worship and, and fellowship with, with family and friends um, and enjoy this day together. Uh, hear this benediction as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Turn his face towards you and give you peace. We'll see you next week. Right there and here, right there again, once a
Yeah, it's not really a big time. It's 
He didn't use a shaker whatsoever.
Blessing. 